Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 56 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr. Brian Hurley on the show with us today. Brian is on the episode to talk about a topic that is close to my heart. It's how can we achieve economic outgains for an organisation at the same time as helping our planet? The topic today is Lean Six Sigma for good. And I'm so looking forward to this episode. Let's get into it. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Brad, for having me. Ryan, what's, mate, what's your backstory? Like, what got you involved in this path of, you know, lean and continuous improvement and also the environmental side of things? You bet. Um, when I went to school, I, w- I went to school for statistics. So I was learning all these cool data analysis techniques. Wasn't quite sure where I was going to use it, but um, I knew there was probably a job's uh, out there for me to help with. Um, I went into a quality management and productivity master's program right after school. And um, that gave me a different perspective. So I learned a little bit about Deming and a little bit about some of the improvement and quality gurus, but um, not until I started working full-time at an aerospace company did it really start to sink in about how I could be helpful and useful. And so I just kind of found that I had a lot of flexibility. I don't know exactly if they knew where the best place to put me. So they kind of let me go free and learn the business and go be helpful, basically. And that allowed me to kind of act like an internal consultant. Um, so I was trying to bring in some Six Sigma methods and show people we need to collect more data. We need to uh, learn about statistics or refresh their memory. So most of my classes were basically reminding people what they took in school for statistics class. And so then trying to apply it to the real situation they're dealing with so they could see that connection. Because I think a lot of people struggled with that. They took a class and then they'd try to problem solve at work and they weren't making that connection. And I was learning as I was teaching people about some of the data sets they have to deal with and the small volume and how to deal with that situation. So just really great experience I got. Probably uh, 15 years ago, I started to start learning more about the environment and some of the problems going on and kind of light bulb went off in my head that, wait, this is just data. And this is another problem. It just requires a little data analysis. Um, The company I was working for was a supplier to Boeing and Boeing had just encouraged them to start lean probably a year or two before I started working there. So they were early in the lean journey and I was kind of, looking at our improvement program and trying to bring more statistics into it, but also really getting curious about the lean program. So I went through all the training and started to pick up and learn about that as well. So um, then my roles have always been some kind of process improvement role, but it was about, yeah, 15 years ago where I started to see like, we got some serious problems to deal with and this lean and six Sigma methodology there's something we can use this to apply to it. Yeah. So 
again, got me really excited. I started doing some research. I found the uh, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency had done a Lean Six, Lean and Six Sigma uh, series of booklets that they put out, and I started to digest those and learn about those, and that really got me excited that they'd already built put some case studies together of companies that have gone in, used Lean and Six Sigma to reduce their water, reduce their energy, reduce chemical usage, reduce what they're putting in the landfill and, and the pollutants they're putting out in the air. So. I said, these are like really exciting, um, motivating projects to work on. And that's something that I felt like maybe I could try to learn more about and then see if I could do some projects at my work. Yeah, that's amazing. And Ryan, it's so interesting. Like I, I haven't had a guest on yet talking about the Six Sigma and statistics side of things. Okay. You know, and a lot of the times it gets lost in today's world, I see. But you know, you, you go back to Deming and we go back further. It was a key part of everything. And in many companies doing great things, it's a key part of everything. Yep. What, what is the power of data and actually taking that little bit of time to get that data versus just going with the flow? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a, a balance there is trying to figure out how much time do we spend on the data collection? Because there is time invested in that. And so sometimes it's wasteful because we're not using that data or it's not very good data. So um, I think that's always something we should look at and challenge and say, are we collecting and looking at the right information? Um, but it's quicker to just assume that you know what's going on, you can jump to a solution, you know how to solve it, or you're really confident in that. And if you're man, I found if your management's not asking you to prove it, with data, then that's, there's no drive or um, expectation to go get the data. So when we would do training and projects and I would ask for that, it was kind of a little bit of conflict there because no one else is asking for this, but I'm making them go get that to prove to me that they're actually getting results. And I think that's an important part is the data helps us all along the problem solving process from making sure we actually do have a problem because that's been a challenge I've run into is people will say they've got a problem and we go get data and it's not that bad or, you know, it's not as bad as they thought it was. Yeah. I've also had the opposite happen where they say it's a problem and we look at it and it's a really big problem yeah. once we got the data. Um, one was actually on like uh, training for contractors coming in a building. They thought that most of them were getting the safety and environment safety health training and when we pulled, or I didn't pull the data, but the, my lead person, when we were going into a lean event, she pulled the data and found 1% of the contractors had been trained. Oh, wow. And they thought it was more like 30, 40, 50%. Yeah. So that data really escalated the size and impact importance of that project and that event to get the leadership attention on it. Because yeah. before I think they were bought in, but they really were bought in when they saw how poor the process was performing. Yeah. And then just going through and validating that we have good data and using that data to guide us to understand where the problems are happening. Is there a cyclical pattern? Is there a, a difference between different groups or different people? Um, even day of the week often still has a, a significant effect on the results. So why is that happening? Why are some crew teams or workers doing better than others? Why are some facilities and offices doing better than others? 
So just being able to take that data, break it down can help uh, give us insights into the problem that we didn't, that didn't come up during discussions or we didn't know about. Yeah. But then the most important part, I think, is really when we get done, how do we know that we've been successful? How do we know that the time has gone down? How do we know that the, there's the more consistency in the process? How do we know that the customers are now happier or that our deliveries are uh, more consistent or on, on schedule? So yeah, it's, throughout the whole process, I, um, I don't want to overload the team with data, but I also want to be smart about where we need data and where it's essential um, so that we can have confidence that we're going down the right path. It's, it's amazing the, the results you can get when you do take that time to, you know, collect the right data, but also focus on the right data. Like, Ron, I'm, you know, I do a lot in Agile and you look at the word Agile mm. and you go, oh, it's a, it's a free-for-all and just be Agile. No, it's not. <laughs> There's a lot of structure and a lot of data behind Agile too. You know, yep. it's about being able to measure your progress, track, learn from the data, learn from customers. And, but what do you think, Ryan, would you say we're getting worse with data and learning from data from what you see or better at the moment? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, my first reaction was we're getting a lot of data. So that's great. And I'm excited about the ability to capture data from, I can get data on how much I sleep at night just off my Fitbit or my Apple watch, right? <laughs> You've got one too. Yeah. So that's great. I, you know, to me, to write down what time I went to bed and when I actually fell asleep, you know, that's hard data to get. But when I track that, I can pull that pretty easily into a spreadsheet. However, it still requires someone to look at the data and do mm. something with it and make decisions from it. And so I think that's where it can be a little overwhelming at times too, that we have so much information coming in. People aren't really sure where to get started. How, how, what do I look at first? It's almost overwhelming for them. Yeah. So I think that's uh, a little bit of a challenge with the, the benefits of getting that data. It's, it's can be overwhelming. Um, I think there's a lot of good packages out there that are trying to provide more data-driven um, visual uh, graphical analysis tools like uh, that will tap into your database and then give you a way to slice and dice your yeah. data, data, like data like a, a Tableau or Power BI, mm. yeah, or some, I think it was Spitfire, Spotfire, something like that. It connects to databases and then allows you to on the fly kind of look at your data visually. And that's a great way of not jumping into statistics, but just look at what the picture of the data looks like. Look at yeah. your averages, look at your breakout by groups and by departments and see if that gives you uh, interesting insights into your data. Look at those outliers. Look at those interesting data points. Why are there so many zeros? Why are there so many missing fields or missing data? Um, you had 10,000 transactions, but there's only 1,000 data points. Why is that? So yeah. there's a lot of that that you can, you don't need to be a statistical expert to just understand what the data is telling you and what's in there. As we get deeper into it, maybe there's some statistical tools that are needed, but uh, I don't, I like to try to simplify it for teams. I like to start off simple. Let's look at the pictures and then maybe if there's more intricate analysis needed, we can dig into that or I can help them with that. But yeah. I want them to feel comfortable collecting and looking at data as a regular thing and not be scared off by it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Those tools, I think just um, there's a lot of data. The one other thing I'll add was the, 
do we trust that data? Is it good data? And I know there's a lot of discussions with AI and automation and what we can learn from this data. But I always think about, is this good information? Is this really collecting what we think it is? Um, is it accurate? So when we go out to the process and we go see the process, does it measure exactly what we just observed? So if I say the, the cycle time in the system says it took 48 seconds to do that operation, I should be able to go out with a stopwatch and get pretty close to that. And if not, then the system is going to make a lot of decisions with a, the assumption that this data is telling it something when it's really not. And so we just have to be with the, the amount of data, we still have to validate that we that data is good and we understand what it's exactly measuring. Yeah. So we're not making decisions that are based on what I think the column name said, but that's not really what it measures. Uh, so we just have to be careful, I think, as people look at how do we automate the analysis and, and use that data. You still have to dig into and understand where it all comes from. Yeah. It really sounds to me, Ron, like, you know, in the start of that conversation, you're saying that too much data, it can, it can stop us seeing the, you know, the forest for the trees. So it's about the right data that's going to help us move towards our goal or overcome, really overcome that problem. And then it's really like you're saying, how do we visualize it? Which I guess mm -hmm. brings in that combination of lean six sigma that you've been through on your career. Like that lean element of, you know, visuality, humanistic factor, go see, go to the real place, you know, Gemba, all yep. those elements. It sounds like the two combined is a really powerful formula. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't really separate the two because I see the need for both, you know, from getting good data and doing analysis to just going out and working with the people. And maybe it's a little notepad they have at their computer or post-it notes that they write the numbers on for their process. And they have tally sheets of what they're collecting. That's really powerful data and information that we can use in the process. And I don't want to move things into a database or get it off of a whiteboard when that's the best tool for collecting that information. And yeah, it's hard because I don't have it in a spreadsheet, but I can go and type it in a spreadsheet if I need to. Um, yeah. So I think it's really understanding what works best for the workers that minimizes their time, but gets us the best information. And I always tell people, don't set up your databases to tell you every little detail what goes on. You will overburden the workers with a five-minute task, it takes them seven minutes to enter data. That's yeah. a complete waste of time. Get, find the data that points you to the process area and then get out of your chair, walk over, or connect in with the team virtually somehow to watch and observe the process. We can't let expect the data to tell us all the answers. And I think yeah. I see that a lot, that it's just super, super complicated how to fill out transactions and records about the process when... Um, it's trying to make the engineer and the support teams work easier, but you're dumping it onto the workers who are the ones adding the value. And that's, that's not right. So get the data that is going to help you focus on which area to look at for, de for the details, but don't expect the system to tell you all the details. It's yeah. And like you said too, in, in today's age, you know, how can you get flow with that data? How can you automate it? Because it's so easy to do. Um, as long as you're still doing the the humanistic check on the going to Gemba and understanding. Yep. But then also, I guess what you're saying is automate and collect the right data too, because I guess I've seen it too, Ryan. I've seen so many leadership teams become paralyzed with data. 
you know, they've got amazing data, masses of spreadsheets of it, but they're like a deer in the headlights because it's like, well, your brain can only compute like what, two, three bits of data at a time? Yep, yep. So they end up doing nothing rather than being able to do something because the data just overwhelms them. Or it takes so long just to look at all the different dashboards that they don't really have time to go in and investigate any one's particular signal or problem. And so, yeah, if that's, you're spending all your time doing the administrative part of it, of getting the reports together or looking at them and it's taking you away from solving problems, then that's a, that's an issue. That's an issue. Yeah. And that's the powerful thing of Six Sigma, isn't it? It's like this toolkit of of amazing data analysis tools, but it's like choosing the right tools, isn't it? For the right application on it plus the lean elements that are going to help you really validate and take the humanistic element to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I always like to start with lean because I think that's got uh, a much broader view of problems. I think there's Six Sigma does a great job for certain types of problems, complex problems, um, ones that the team has already tried to improve. Maybe they're struggling with and they get stuck. That's usually when I like to bring in a little bit more of the Six Sigma piece, but not every problem is complex. It's just getting the right people together to s- agree that it's a problem and then get the expert workers to give them time to, to think about it and then give them support team to work with them to help come up with solutions. And um, that's half the battle sometimes. It's not complicated, you know, what's really going on. So there's more of those problems, I think, out there than you know, I need a, a really complicated experiment with um, multiple interactions and quadratic equations to make this model understood. Yeah, there is opportunity for that, but uh, most, I'd say 80% of the, what I see is core lean tools can probably address it. And yeah. Maybe 20% is, uh, requires some more Six Sigma type analysis. Yeah. Use a, use a hammer to hit a nail, a drill to drive a drill bit. <laughs> You know, it's, yes. <laughs> yeah. the problem is when you're just using a hammer the whole time, it's right. It can, it can get messy. Go to enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of a systems boundary map template, which will help you map out your organization's current impact and waste reduction opportunity. This is a great tool to help an organization create a baseline of opportunity, both environmentally and economically. This can then be used to track and motivate progress towards a greener, more profitable future. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. Let's get back to the episode. Brian, I'm really keen to head into the environmental side now, and I know this is a massive passion for your you and you're doing great things with this with that lean six sigma for good if you look at the environmental space and i'm just going to summarize something here and i'm keen to get your thoughts on it like for years i've seen in the media just this emotional hearsay and tug of war you know where and you know you got one side the people who just don't feel anything's happening negatively or there's not a challenge and it's it's an emotional driver there's no data behind it mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you've got <clears throat> people who are concerned and worried about it, and they're using every angle they can to try to get the message out there. And it's really, how do we connect the dots that we use the data and use the fact, plus go see and understand by going to look 
to then actually get the results. And like you and I know, the results aren't win-lose. They're win-win, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a challenge because even, you know, you could look at it from a country-by-country country perspective. You can look at it by, in the U.S., state-by-state state is different. I've been in multiple states that have different views of, of the environment and where it fits in the order of priorities. And then we went within a company, company by company is different. And within a company, you have a great variability in the workers, right? And what they think is important. So, um, you know, I think the good thing is that a lot of these things are win-wins. So whether they care about the environment or not, this is the right thing to do. This saves money. This attracts employees. This um, gets us good PR. This reduces our permit fees or our electricity costs. You know, so I think trying to show the multitude of ways in which it, uh, improving the environment helps the business, um, it'll hopefully one or more of those will be enough to get people interested. And then hopefully it, it's not so much about we're just doing this because it's a the, the right thing to do, but it's it's good for business too, and and hopefully you know they'll come around to it. I really think if people get into this and really study and look at the impacts to our environment, I think they'll gain appreciation for it. Just like the people who are really passionate about it, they they understand why it's such a big deal. Um, they've probably been to the front lines of these problem areas. Um, we have. Um, a, a large river in the U.S., Mississippi River, and at the base of it is New Orleans. And if you go there, uh, I have not been there to inspect this, but I've heard people talk about that there nothing grows in this dead zone. And it comes from all the farming and that is runoff from all the farmlands in the Midwest that run into that. And And I grew up in a place that was predominantly farming and in Iowa. So the, when, if you don't understand that, you see, well, I don't see the big deal. I'm in Iowa. What's the problem with this runoff? We're growing food, we're raising cattle. But if you actually went down to Louisiana and you looked at the river and where it comes out and you saw the impact that it's depleted that entire farming industry and the pollution and, and the problems, you would have a different appreciation for the impact of that problem. And you would be passionate about it too. So I think this idea of going to the Gemba is, is really important. And the environment too is go to the areas where they're flooding or they see that sea level rise is going to wipe out their island or uh, require millions of dollars of um, infrastructure to prevent flooding you know, go to downtown Miami and look at the pumps that they're proposing putting in place to keep their downtown and their beach areas from flooding. Um, I was listening, you know, to someone talk about how we need to be more focused on planning for mitigating climate change. Yeah. And he, people were pushing back saying, aren't you just giving up? And he's like, no, think about it. When people have to start planning for it and they start looking at the dollars it's going to take, to stop the flooding, to relocate houses, to that bill is going to be enormous. And then they're going to revert back and say, we can't afford that. What it, maybe there's something we can do right now to prevent us from getting to that point. Oh, and yeah. so he was, it was a really interesting approach that he was saying, and I'll have to look up his name in this podcast, but it was around mitigation 
but it was kind of really driving a lot of focus back to what can we do right now? Because the, the ticket, the, the price tag for these projects to deal with the consequences are just enormous. And yeah. it gets people thinking, wait, that, that, that can't be the way we can solve this. We got to do, we got to come up with something better. Yeah. And, and I think that's such a powerful conversation, you know, because again, it's that lean six sigma element you're talking about, isn't it? It's let's look at the right data and let's go see and let's learn from that and then let's adapt. But look at the big picture of the win-win. In, in Australia, you know, I think everyone would know Australia as these beautiful beaches and, you know, wonderful coastlines and all the things that imagery come up with that. But you go down any of the beaches now at any particular time after a storm event, and this is happening multiple times a year, and and there's like these massive cliffs of sand dunes and it's pushing back into the final sand dune. I love a place called Bribey Island. And you go there and it's just at, at certain times in the year, it's just a massive cliff, you know, of dune. It's not a dune. Yeah. It's a sheer wall of sand going up sometimes, you know, 16 feet and it's into the final dune. And then you see these massive big bulldozers driving out in the ocean, dropping the bucket and pushing sand up. And so the, but the council's spending all this money to, you know, recreate the beach that... You know, but a lot of people, the challenge with that is a lot of people don't see the situation because they're not there on that time when the bulldozers are doing what they're doing. But also that cost that the council is spending can be lost. It's not connected to, let's let's connect that cost and that social impact to the work we're doing or not doing on environmental and let's get a win-win out of it. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the externality cost is big. Um, you know, who's paying for the pollution? Who's paying for, you know, the 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 metals that are getting into our water streams? You know, coming off of a coal-fired power plant. You know, um, who's paying for the asthma medication and and hospital visits and ER visits for people who are suffering because of the air quality? Um, and so that's going on. It's it's getting allocated out to society and individuals. And that's not fair when we can point back to key drivers of that. And then if, if, you know, I'm all for free market, but not if only you're only paying for some of your impact. So whether it's a carbon tax or a a price per carbon, you know, I know Australia has been had ups and downs with trying to get a carbon fee added. Um, But I think that's gotta be the way to get the attention to on the business community to say, this is going to be your cost going forward. Your energy costs are going to go up or your carbon costs are now going to be showing up and it's going to be to help pay for the impact that you've directly or indirectly caused. And then it'll be, I think a much simpler discussion because I've, I've been in those rooms where the payback period is three and a half years, but they claim to have 50 projects that are less than a year payback. And so it's not that these are bad projects, they're just small relative to the other projects that are out there that they can spend their money on as business. So, um, but if we could put a price to that impact and show that there's a bigger um, cost to doing business the same way going forward, those projects are gonna come down to two years and one year paybacks and be more competitive. but I'd also challenge that a lot of those projects aren't really one-year paybacks. They're going back to data. 
they're based on a guess that someone came up with, but did we actually go measure the process right. and actually get real data or did someone just kind of, you know, take a, a guess at it and say, oh yeah, we can, this is roughly the, the, the gain we're going to get and we're going to triple our output, you know. Yeah. And I really challenge some of those. Yeah. And if the organization's not skilled at setting that goal and then tracking it and, set, you know, measuring and celebrating the outcome, if it is great, well, you can wing it so easy. It can be a Hail Mary every time, can't it? And that goes back to, is the management asking for the data? Yeah. If they're not challenging that data and say, where did you get that? How did you gather that? How many samples did you take? Where, you know, how much confidence can I have in that number? Um, if they're not asking that question, then people are going to continue to guess. Yeah. And then, and we're also not going to go back and say, you know, that project we did a year ago, two years ago, what was, what was the actual return on investment on that? Yeah. Is they, they get them funded on a return on investment, but often I've seen the companies aren't going back to validate that. Yeah. And I think they would learn a lot by doing that to say, you know, all these projects we thought were one year, two year, three year paybacks were five, six your paybacks in some yeah. cases. It's so a- that would bring it back to them to challenge when we are proposing these projects, let's get real data and take a little bit extra time to get better data so we have a better estimate of what the outcome will be. So we can compare it fairly to all these other projects that are places we can improve upon. So yeah. um, like a, one example would be like an LED project. The changing out the light bulbs and putting in LEDs is a pretty straightforward calculation on what you're going to save. And I've helped people with a project to calculate that out, but it got lost in the other projects who had less than accurate data. And so it kept getting pushed out to maybe next year, maybe the year after. Um, But uh, it was a little frustrating because I didn't feel like the other projects put nearly the amount of work into showing the actual payback and getting good data. So um, theirs looked better on paper. Yeah, too true. I, I see that all the time myself. Hey, Brian, with, with um, the episode, we may finish up episode one there and come back for episode two um, okay. next week. So, Brian, thank you so much for this amazing first episode. And um, everyone join up for second episode next week and we'll continue the conversation. Thanks.